What's going on? Entrepreneurs, small business owners, side hustlers everywhere. Today's Seven Figures Club guest is Oli Richards. Oli brings a, a lot of experience as an entrepreneur and business owner. He's got a very interesting background. Uh, he had a series of random careers beginning as a jazz musician, trans, uh, transferring to an English teacher before eventually starting a blog on his passion, which is language learning. And he grew it into an eight-figure, $10 million business. Today, he writes a newsletter teaching other online entrepreneurs how to scale their businesses to seven figures plus using story learning as a living case study. Now, today, he's also involved in multiple successful education companies as an investor, mentor, and advisor. But his passion is still teaching and working with others, including entrepreneurs especially. His newsletter focuses specifically on helping six-figure business owners make the leap to a seven-figures-plus business and beyond, which is perfect because this is the Seven Figures Club podcast. We're on a mission to help the you know seven to nine percent of business owners that actually get to seven figures. But we want to see that number grow. And today's guest, Oli Richards, is going to bring a lot of value to help you do that. Oli, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thank you very much, man. That's a lot to live up to. You know, we love to find out a little bit more about the background of our guests. And so what were some of the key events in your life that eventually led you to believe, you know what, maybe being a business owner, entrepreneur, starting my own business, maybe that's the path for me. What were some of the key events that led you to that decision? Yeah, well, I mean, I never set out to be an entrepreneur or a business owner. I had absolutely no intention whatsoever of doing that. I mean, I'm I'm someone, I think about this a lot now um you know kind of you know middle age looking back you know what 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 the hell happened i've always i've always been <laughs> a, like a very kind of creative person right so i've i've always needed to produce creative output of some kind so you know i was always i grew up playing music um i did a degree in jazz piano i was a professional jazz musician for you know 7 years um in the uk i would used to play in different bands playing around europe it was it was great fun uh, but I didn't like the lifestyle too much. You know, you don't make any money. You got a lot of late nights, um, you know, a lot of s- smoky pubs and things like that. It kind of sounds cool, but when you're doing sure. it every day, it gets a bit tiresome. So there came a point where I kind of, um, I started to realize that the life, as much as I love the music, the lifestyle wasn't for me, uh, but I always loved traveling. So I thought, screw this. I'm going to just do like follow my, the dream I always had. So I did a, a, a English teaching qualification and I went off to teach in Japan. So I taught English in Japan wow. for four years. And then I moved to the Middle East, to Qatar, where the World Cup was just held, and then Egypt. So, so about seven years doing that. My career has been one seven-year sprint after another. Um, and then at the end of, um, after a year in Egypt, my wife, who was pregnant at the time, was about to give birth. So we moved back to the UK. And um, while I was teaching English, um, I, I started a blog on the side about learning languages because learning languages was always my another passion that I had and I learned a bunch of I'd learned eight languages myself so you know it was it was my my thing and um, I just started a blog about that because I I just had that need to 
write about it to create somehow um and by the time that our daughter was 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 born i'd been doing that on the side for about two years and it had just got to the point where it was kind of minimum viable income you know we were earning maybe a couple of thousand a month give or take like it wasn't a lot but it was enough and so i i just i just took a long hard look at my life and and, and i thought well you know what are the chances I'm, I'm, I'm at a crossroads here do i believe do i have faith that i can learn what i need to in order to grow this thing um from from where it was and i thought well i don't know but i'm gonna kick myself if i don't try so we moved back to london i went full-time on the business and um yeah the rest was history outstanding so a lot of key events you're you're involved in the music industry you're traveling a lot and i think it's important where people can get their eyes open when they live outside of the country maybe they, they were born in were some of the factors and things that you learned and realized as you lived in, you know, different countries? It's a great question. I mean, I think you just realize your place in the world. You know, I think yeah. us, us, you know, um, Americans, Brits, Canadians, we, 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 we look at the world in a very, very particular way. And, you know, you go to Japan, you go to the Middle East and, and you, you just realize that you know, our way of looking at the world is just one way, you know, and the world can look very, very, very different depending on, on, uh, on, on where you're from and, and, uh, and where you are and the people around you. So it, ma it makes you humble. You know, I think it makes you humble in one sense, proud in another, because I ended up coming back home and realizing, you know, we have it quite good here um, in, in, in the UK where, where I'm from. And so it just teaches you, it teaches you about the world and i think it makes you it makes you very good at relating to people when i was teaching english for example i learned that i had to slow down the way i speak and i had to learn to oh, speak yeah. more simply in order to communicate with people and so this pattern of kind of communicating is is something that i really just took on i think and and in a sense music is communication as well music i i think of music as being the expression of truth um in the same way that art is um, teaching is also communication. And then what I do now by writing my newsletter, that's also communication. Like I, I when I write my newsletter every Friday, I, I spend so long writing, editing, rewrite, I edit on paper, I big red pen, you know, changing words here, like a little bit like Ernest Hemingway says, you know, he spent the, the, the morning moving, moving a comma from one part of the sentence to another, and then the afternoon moving it back again. I'm a bit like that. I just love the creative output, the, the communication, and and um, and I think that's just come from a mix of the music, from the living abroad, from the languages, and all that stuff. Absolutely. So the first business that you really started to go all in with was a language learning business, teaching others yeah. how to learn different languages. How did you grow that and scale that from two thousand dollars a month to where you took that business? Yeah, what were great questions. So. I mean, there's there's obviously so many different factors, and it happened over the space of, you know, from 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 the point that I went all in to now. I mean, that was 2015, so we're talking eight years. Yeah, and you know, I always like to 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 make the point that I grew this slowly. You know, I look around in the entrepreneurship space and the, the marketing world; everyone's always in such a rush, you know. Um, whether it's kind of running ads or building funnels or, or whatever, everyone's in such a rush. But um, I think one of the things that I did well um, was to just take my time and allow myself to sort of feel my way through the jungle of um, 
of uh, of learning to grow and because time teaches you so many different lessons you know when you're not in a rush when you can afford to take your time um everything gets everything gets easier because the, the solutions the problems going to present themselves so you know um there's there's but for this particular business, for story learning, my, my language business, there are essentially two components to the business. There's the traffic side and there's the, the product side, right? Like most kind of in, in information-based businesses. So from a 30,000-foot view, the trajectory from um, 2,000 a month to millions a year was essentially grow a lot more traffic and then create a lot more products. Um, that's the sort of simple version. The more complex version is le- learning to grow the right traffic sources that can scale and that can reach your your target customer, your avatar, the people that you that you know you can serve, and then also building an ecosystem of products which can actually um, give your target customer um, the things, the options they need to actually do business with you. And you know, I have a I have a quite an elaborate ecosystem of products which i can i can I'm happy to, happy to get into but again figuring out who that target customer was and then creating the products for them also took years you know and there was if you sort of pinned me down at any point during that journey you know i i would have expressed various degrees of confusion and 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 not knowing you know um so it's a it was always a very kind of gradual organic process um so let me pause and feel free to drill down into whatever area that you would like to. Perfect. Yeah. Let's uh, before we jump into product ecosystem, which you've got a very interesting, you know, understanding comprehension of how that works. Let's talk quickly if we can about traffic in 2023 from 2015, that's eight years. You've seen a lot of different changes and transition you know, there were there were times when, uh, you know, we had Google search that was big and then it was it was Facebook ads and then it's YouTube ads. You've got TikTok and Instagram. What are some of the you know factors with traffic that continue to be evergreen regardless of the platform that you're marketing on? You know, I, I, I tweeted out a few weeks ago when everyone was at the peak of the AI hype cycle, um, I, I tweeted out. Um, for everyone worried about AI replacing or ruining their business, my wife still orders her clothes from mail order catalogs, just FYI. Gotcha. Um, and I thought that was super relevant because mail order is not what most people think of as a, a sort of prime marketing channel, you know, in the 80s and 90s maybe, but but not so much anymore. But my wife buys all of her clothes from mail order catalogs. Really? And, yeah. Wow. And it's super convenient because it arrives in the post. She opens it up. We've got a nice little brochure there that you can flick through. You know, she's been looking at her phone all day. Now she can flick through a nice brochure. Um, and then she she decides what she wants. And then she quickly goes online and places the order. And uh, and it arrives like two days later. So that is a, an example of a marketing channel that is fit for purpose for the right customer. And my businesses, all of them, all of the businesses that I'm involved in essentially follow that model. Um, so. We don't do TikTok. We don't do social media. Um, really? I used to do a podcast. I stopped doing it. Our our main traffic sources for that business are very, very straightforward. So we have books. So we have we have a a whole series. We have dozens of traditionally published books that are in the shops. Yeah. 
um, and a self-published. So, so hold on, I just want to I just want to accentuate what you just said. So you're saying currently with your business is a multi-million dollar business that's grown substantially. You don't use typical social media as no, uh, as an advertising way to bring in traffic customers and clients. No social media. We don't do it. We we have a presence. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. You've um, got we, presence. You post, but you're not. Yeah. You don't have. You're not throwing a, a massive budget of marketing on those platforms. Nothing. We've we've dabbled in it over the years. I've always pulled it. I've always canned it. You know, we we, we track that our sales sources very very carefully, and yeah. you know, we've seen time and time again that whenever we whenever we run kind of very big promotions, the kind of promotions that bring in you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and we track very carefully what channels drive those sales. Social accounts for like single digit percentage, like nothing, one like percent, two percent. Yeah, and so there came a point where, you know, this is the benefit of experience, I guess. I just said, look, what are we doing here? We're just chasing our tail, trying to make this work. This is not where our people are, and and I think this is where like the understanding of your avatar really comes into play because when I so our our avatar, it will make more sense when I when I explain this, I think because. Our avatar for our language courses are generally people who take their education very seriously. They're interested in personal development and learning about other cultures. They are readers. They're deep thinkers. These kind of people are not on Instagram. And so when we crystallized our understanding of our avatar, it made perfect sense why social wouldn't work. And so what did we do? We doubled down on um, publishing more books. We doubled down on our on our, on our website, on our blog, uh, we spend more money now on our blog than we ever did. And we get we we get um, you know over a million hits a month on, on on just on our straightforward blog. Wow, that's remarkable! A because million we know visitors our, a month. That's we know remarkable. our audience. Yeah. Okay, so so you found that the books that you guys create, the books that your team and you create, those are effective marketing tools. And then you've got amazing value with your blog. And then is that blog tied into SEO where it's popping up in keyword searches? And is that how, how the yeah. uh, traffic comes? Yeah. So there's a lot of SEO. Um, we also have um, a pr pretty substantial YouTube, a couple of YouTube channels, actually one, one of those, one of which is, 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 is me, is my, my channel. The other is um, we're moving to a place where we have YouTube channels that are staffed fully by other, other presenters because yeah. um, it's, it's much more scalable. And so we have um, what I call a content, um, an integrated content ecosystem. And this is where each platform um, will cross promote and cross pollinate the others. Yes. So for example, if you go to um, a, a post on the blog that will have embedded in it, a video up on that same topic, which we've very intentionally created, which links people to YouTube. Um, in that YouTube video, we might mention our podcast. Um, so people go over to the podcast and vice versa in this big web. Um, the, the the podcast might then talk about the books and sell the books. And so what that, you get these, these kind of economies of scale whereby you the content you already have starts to promote your other stuff and it creates this real kind of unfair advantage because um, because you know we just have all these different uh, all these different media in different places that's um, that's that's sending traffic and, and helping the other stuff along the way. And because Google owns YouTube as well, it's helping your SEO with search and it's helping SEO search as well uh, with YouTube. And so with YouTube, do you run any ads or you just produce great content? And that's that's how it works. So we don't run YouTube ads as in like paid YouTube ads. We do a lot of integration. So I mean, one of the, one of the main functions of the YouTube channel 
is so I mean, the, the reason to do YouTube in 2023 is not what it used to be. It used to be uh, build a community, generate loyal subscribers. That's not the purpose of YouTube anymore. The purpose of YouTube now is to tap into their algorithm. YouTube cares about one thing, which is watch time. If you can create videos that people will watch, then YouTube will serve your video to hundreds of millions of people. So by having a presence on YouTube and learning to do it well, you are tapping into YouTube's ability to put you in front of a lot of people. And so what we do from a marketing perspective in our YouTube videos is use those videos to promote other things that are going on. So for example, we run a, a certification program um, where we train people to become language teachers and start their own language tutoring business. One of the main ways we drive leads for that certification is I'll do a 90 second um, shout out for it um, in one of my YouTube videos so that we're kind of tapping into that YouTube audience to bring people over to something else that we're doing. Uh, so we, we're very kind of intent. We don't run ads for anybody else any, anywhere, um, but we're very intentional about diverting people off around to different points of the business. Very, very brilliant. So I think this is super interesting here where there's uh, your, a lot of your focus starts with the books and then it goes to your blog where you've got search engine optimization going there. Then it's connected up to YouTube content. So there, there's a super important understanding that you've got to create content in 2023. If you're not creating content and it can be in different forms for you guys, you're great writers. So you've got the blog, but then you're also great at producing video content. You can put that on all social media, but you're right. There's a better bang for the buck with YouTube. And then with the books, I mean, that's almost kind of an, an older, more traditional model that people might look at. And it's interesting. Some of those older traditional models get lost in the mix. And for example, in our business, we do business finance uh, here in the US and we started doing these direct mail pieces, mail pieces, right? And people don't talk a lot about direct mail and that, uh, that direct mail campaign is going to generate over $2 million in sales for us in this year that we weren't even counting on. And that's just how interesting that could be. But there's still things that are, have to be valuable. You have to have a good headline. You have to hook people in. So when you're creating valuable content, whether it's in your books, your blog, or your YouTube videos, what is kind of the structure that you've seen works really well in targeting your avatar? Yeah, great question. So there's no one size fits all answer to this. There um, never is. There never is. You know, one of the things that I that I always say is that you have to become an expert in that in each particular channel that you're that you're working in. Yes. And you know, one, one of the mistakes that, that growing businesses make a lot is that they they diversify their content too quickly. They they want to diversify their traffic sources. Um uh, and and in so doing, they're actually skipping the really difficult work of figuring out how to do that content properly. So, you know, let's say, um, let's say that you start with a blog and you're getting some traction with a blog, but you know, it's not growing as fast as you'd like. What most people do at this point and say, oh, well, let's try Pinterest or let's try this and try that. Whereas what they should be doing is learning how to do um, SEO content better um, so that they can, they can, because they're probably very close to a breakthrough in a lot of cases. They just don't know it. Mm. And so this is the point where I really, I really advocate, you know, working with consultants, working with experts, figuring out how to play the game of, um, in this case, you know, written SEO content, because, um, because it's a lot easier to take something from five to 10 than it is to take something from zero to five, but people split their focus. And so they start doing YouTube, they start doing Pinterest, whereas 
it's focusing on one thing is, is the solution. So across the 10 years of building out our various different media, we've always followed, I've always followed one basic strategy, which is step number one, I myself take responsibility for learning the medium. So when we started YouTube, I dove deep into uh, into YouTube education. I took courses from people, figured out what, what was working in 2021 is when we started. I took responsibility for it myself. I built a team immediately, a production team. So I hired a script writer, I hired a producer, I hired video editors. And for about 12 to 18 months, I was very, very focused on growing that YouTube channel to myself. And I grew it myself to about 250,000 subscribers. Once I felt like we had the whole thing systematized, then you start to hand it off, right? So that's when that's when you can bring in the team to take to, to take what you've learned um, and then carry it forward according to the you know the um, the the systems that you've that you've figured out. And then that's when you can turn your attention to the next medium in the knowledge that what you've created is what has been systematized and is probably looked after. So it's a case of mastering one, handing it off, and then moving on to to the next. Amen. So a ton of value bombs that Ollie has been uh, dropping for us. He talked about understanding who your avatar is. And then one of the simplest questions that a lot of people overlook is business owners, entrepreneurs, where is your dream client? Where's your avatar hanging out at? And once you can find that out, that changes everything. Once you define that, now you understand that. And then it's not about, oh, can I be in 15 different marketing platforms? It's no, how about I master one and I spend all my time mastering one and then I can grow and scale even more and maybe look at adding a second platform. And one of the keys that you talk a lot about is developing a product ecosystem, which is different from a value ladder. A lot of us are familiar with value ladders where you start with a low priced item and you work your way up to your very high ticket offer. How does a pro product ecosystem differ from a value ladder? Yeah, so the fundamental concept of a value ladder is that whatever you may say, basically you're trying to get people to your highest price to offer right away, okay? Sure. And so the value ladder is kind of a way of, of, of doing that. So let's say that your high priced offer is a 10 grand coaching program. Well, you might use a $10 ebook as a gateway. And the theory, so the theory goes, well, if someone buys my $10 ebook and they get a load of value from it, they'll be more likely to buy my $1,000 program and then my $10,000 program. But the hidden agenda is always to get people to the, the, uh, the most expensive program that there is. And, you know, if you spend any time around marketers, you know, that that's what they're trying to, that's what they're trying to do one way or another. Um, but in the education context, I see things a little bit differently. And this is very business dependent. So, you know, for people listening to this, it, you, you've got to take this and apply it to your own context. Um, but a product ecosystem essentially says, I'm not trying to get you to the most expensive thing right away. Instead, I have a whole uh, suite of things that I'm going to offer you at different stages. And you can um, select, so you can self-select and dip in and out at different times. And this works this fits an education um, environment very well because the learning process usually doesn't happen overnight, right? In the business world, it does often make sense to buy very expensive consulting because that consultant can give you secrets that can grow your business overnight pretty much. But in the learning space, that doesn't happen. In the learning space, you've got to do the work yourself. If you're learning a language, you 
you can have the best teacher in the world, but it's still going to take you years to learn a language, which means if I try and sell you a really expensive thing right now, not only is that a bit weird for you because you're used to kind of paying by the hour for language lessons, but actually I can't fulfill on that promise because there's no amount of secrets and hacks that I can give you that are going to make you fluent in French in a month. I know it's going to take you years to get fluent in the language. So yes, it will. So yeah, it really will. So um, whatever people say, it will. So we set things up so that over the course of the journey of learning the language, we have all these different products that become relevant at different stages. So you have the beginner programs, the, uh, the upper beginner programs, the intermediate programs, the advanced programs. And then you have these different kind of add-ons, if you like. There's a, a continuity. We, we have this kind of hybrid continuity model of monthly challenges where people often want to maintain motivation. So they'll take these time-bound 30-day challenges. And then at some point they think, you know what? I like this. Smart. I like this 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 language thing so much. I quite fancy teaching it. So then they have this. We have the certification available, so they can learn how to teach it. So this ecosystem allows people once they discover you, once they decide that they like learning the way that you teach, they can just dive in and indulge to their heart's content. And you have all those things available, and it makes for a much nicer selling environment. Because if you're an educator, if you're a creative, like like I I feel like I am at heart. I honestly don't, I don't want to be running high scarcity, high pressure webinars and doing phone calls and, and DM. I just don't want to do it. I'm not interested. I, not how I want to spend my days. I would much rather um, engineer the kind of business that I have at the moment where my, you know, my time commitment to story learning is four to six days a month. And the reason is that everything just works automatically. We're playing the long game. We allow people to dip in and out when they want. Um, but we do a good job of it so that we, we still kind of keep that lifetime customer value high, but it's just, it's just very much um, a business model that's designed for that particular, like understanding the avatar and the journey they have to go through. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating stuff. You know, it's interesting uh, for years when I was younger, I studied Spanish, really didn't make much progress in it. And when I actually went and lived in Santiago, Chile for a couple of years, oh, nice. you know, then I was really forced to learn the language and learn it. I did and, and grew to love Spanish and become fluent in that. But what are what are, how do you use what you're calling story learning as an effective way to help people learn those languages within your business? Yeah. So so this kind of speaks to our USP in, in the business and you know, everything, everything that I've said up, up until now it relies on you having some kind of magic component to what you do. Right? So in, in our case, um, sto what story learning is, the name of the business is also the method. And we teach languages yeah. through, through stories, right? Yeah. So whereas a lot of people are used to, uh, you know, Duolingo and apps and things like that, um, we take a totally different approach and we say, you know, if you want to learn, if you want to learn properly, you're going to have to do some work over here, right? Sorry, this is the way it's oh, going to yeah. be. And we teach through stories, which is also how you learned English in the first place, right? Your parents read you stories. Yes. So the method kind of makes intuitive sense. But stepping back, if you're learning a language, you've seen a lot of different products out there, but you've never seen a method that's based around learning through stories. And so when, when because we, we articulate the method so clearly, what happens is that when people, this is the, the best case scenario that I'm describing here, but when people discover us, it's so unique and it's so different that for the right person, it's, it, it proves to be kind of irresistible. 
And so when, when they make the decision to try out one of our products um, on the front end, that's when uh, it's a bit like a, like a, one of those fly traps, you know, that's when they kind of go in, they get in and they're hooked. They, they like the method. I mean, some, some people don't, but on the, on the whole, they like the method. And then they're kind of bought in at that point, which makes it so that the other things that we then go on to offer afterwards are a lot easier to sell because people, the person has already bought into the method. They already stand, understand our ethos. And so the, the ecosystem that I described earlier What's crucial about that is that everything needs to be based in, needs to be positioned in the same way with the same magic. So everything we teach is through stories. Like whatever the product is, it's always got stories at the foundation, which makes it so that the people who who, who self-select, who choose to come into our world, they can continue learning in that exact same way. So that's how it all kind of fits together. That's beautiful. So valuable. Amazing value bond that you just dropped there. For everybody listening, this is what you can do in your business. Every piece of content marketing should be incorporating stories facts are you know always cute and all the other things where you're teaching but you're going to lose people if you can teach if you can market if you can help people understand how you solve the problem that they're facing your your dream client and do it in a story format there's nothing more effective than that and this is interesting i've never heard of that as the way to teach language but it makes so much sense that storytelling would be the way to do that. Uh, transitioning a little bit uh, into the importance of building a team. Obviously, at this point, you know you've taken your time to build a great foundation, but you've also built a really, you know, good team around you. What has that process been like to build a team that you trust to run your business? How has that been, and and what have you seen be successful in that regard? Yeah. So, I mean, the team really, really is everything, and. Um... You know, as, as as an aside, you know, if you ever want to sell your business, you need to have a strong team with a strong yes. management layer. Otherwise, no one's gonna, no one, no one's gonna, gonna, gonna go anywhere near you. They're not gonna touch your business with a barge pole because, um, because when you disappear, the business kind of disappears with you. So, um, I had a, I had a, a coach. I'm a big fan of using business coaches, and I had a coach uh, yeah. four or five years ago. And he asked me a question that really changed my life, actually, when we were, you know, we, we were doing kind of low, low seven figures in revenue at the time. And, and we were talking about how to grow. And he asked me, what does the org chart of the $10 million version of your business look like? And I kind of did a double take and say, yeah, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? So, well, think about how the business is going to grow. What? organizational structure would you need to have in place in order to support that business? And I didn't have an answer for him at the time. I'd never really thought about it, but I went away and I thought, I thought about what that would look like. And I sketched out that week, what the, um, what the org chart would actually look like. And um, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of a, of a, of a, of a management model called, uh, called EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. And um, in that model, you have a, what's called a visionary and integrator combo. So the visionary person is at the top, your Steve Jobs type character, and the integrator sits directly beneath the visionary, um, which is your Steve Wozniak. And the integrator essentially runs the business, leaving the visionary free to um, do visionary stuff, I guess, and, and uh, you know strategize. 
And, and then beneath the integrator, you have people who are responsible for different areas of the business. And businesses usually break down into three components, finance, marketing, and operations, which I didn't know at the time, but I learned this by reading a couple of books. So I started to sort of sketch this out and say, hey, right, so we need, we need a three-layer a three layer uh, of management beneath the, the operations guy, and then they're going to need people as well. And I, so I sketched out this version of, um, it probably had about 20 to 30 people in it. But what that did was show me what was going to be necessary in order to grow. I realized right away when I compared it to the team we had at the time, it's like, okay, this is not going to cut it. We don't have anywhere near enough people. And so at that point, uh, I started very deliberately, <clears throat> excuse me, I started very deliberately bringing on people, um, not just to solve specific pressure points that we were feeling at the time, but to actively grow towards that bigger that bigger organization that I mm. carefully thought through. Um, and then um, in, in terms of the hiring itself, we've, we've always had a golden rule of hiring from within. And this goes I against like a lot of what you hear out there. You know, everyone says, oh, I've got to hire a, a players. But what people don't tell you is that A players come with a lot of baggage. They want big salaries. They're very career driven. So they've always got their eye on the next, the next, the next job. They want assistance. They won't do work themselves. They need assistance for everything. So that that and that, they uh, might be terrible for the culture of your existing team right. too is something I think that's important that people the, understand. The, there you go. They can really you can really be chucking a rock in, in the pond there um, culturally. So you know earlier I sort of described how I've always grown the business very very slowly. I've taken my time and big part of that has been growing the culture because I've never been in a big rush. So I've always preferred to bring in people who understand the business at a deep level. So almost everyone who works for the company now is a, a former student of ours. So someone who's taken oh, our okay. courses knows how the stuff works. And I always, I hire for aptitude and then train on the skills. So um, we'll do big recruiting rounds from our, from our email list almost always. Um, in fact, one of the things we do use social for is actually recruiting. It's been very useful for recruiting. Um, and we will do big recruiting rounds. We'll whittle it down to you know a short list of seven, eight people. And then there's always one person who makes it to the top in terms of aptitude. And we think, you know what? This is just someone who's going to fit in the culture. They're, they're going to strengthen the team um, from a cultural perspective. Um, they're also they've also got the best possible attitude and they are trainable. So we can train them to do what, what we need to do. And I've just approached everything that way. And it's, it's, you know, touch wood. It's always, it's always worked out really well. So is a lot of your team uh, remote then? Yeah, we're hundred percent remote. So, oh, so wow. I'm the, I'm the only one in the UK, actually, the rest of the team is in, um, well, a few of them are nomadic. Others are in South Africa, France, Spain, Germany, wow. a few in the you US. You are a global company. That's yeah, it makes it a bit difficult for team meetings sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> but we, we manage. But it makes sense, especially where you're in a language uh, learning business, where you have people in different countries with different languages. That makes sense. You know, one of the one of the most attractive things for people that work with us is is the fact that they can continue their lives the way that they want to to live. You know, so we we don't have any. Um, no one keeps any hours, you know, we don't, we don't even, we don't, we don't even track holiday time. You know, we have an unlimited holiday policy. Um, and the thing is that for somebody who knows your business, who's a former student who wants to work with you, but can also keep their life the way it is, especially if they have kids and a family and they're, you know, they're stable to be able to continue a stable life, but also work 
from home in the hours that they want to. Yeah, that's a dream for a lot of people. And um, and it makes it also so that, you know, typically people don't tend to demand, you know, top top salaries either, because it, what they really want in their lives is is, is the flexibility to, to keep living their lives. So for a company like ours, it works. It, it works really well. Absolutely. Well, final question. One of the struggles that a lot of entrepreneurs have is they're able to build a successful business, but then they struggle with understanding how to separate out and grow their personal wealth too as an entrepreneur. And I know you've been on a journey, you know, knocking out that obstacle. What have you found to be kind of a successful strategy or what's worked for you in making sure that you're actually building your personal wealth at the same time as building that business? Yeah, this is this is this is really really tricky, and I, I think a lot of the um, I actually wrote about this in my newsletter a couple of weeks ago um, about my a- approach to, to to wealth building. If anyone wants to read that, they can find it at um, ollierichards.co. Um, it entrepreneurship and money and your own psychology is a bit of a toxic mix because a lot of a lot of people that get into entrepreneurship don't necessarily come from money. And, um, you know, most people don't. And so you bring with you a lot of scarcity mindset around money. You know, yes. I, I grew up with my my parents always telling me, you know, oh, when we're in the supermarket, you, know, you don't get that expensive yogurt. Let's get the cheaper one because it's a waste of money. And, you know, we'll drive five miles to fill up the car because it's like 5p cheaper at the other petrol station. Yeah. And so I kind of grew up with that programming. And so when it came to to actually ha- finding myself with a, with a business with large amounts of money come flowing in, flowing out every month. Energetically, I didn't know how to handle that, so I had to do a lot of reprogramming around 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 how I how I thought about money, and um, and it's 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 it messes with your psychology because a lot of people who grow a business to you know to to, to low seven figures will find that they, they they are then a seven-figure business owner and they objectively feel very successful. But if you're if you're if you're bringing in a million a year, you may only end up with 200, 300 yourself in net profit um, before tax. And then once you've paid the tax on that and withdrawn it in dividends, you may have half of that left over. So you've got this very strange dynamic where your business is doing super well, but personally like your life isn't isn't that uh, isn't really changed that much. And, um, I found that a very, very difficult thing to, um, to get over. There are a couple of things that are, that I found to be very important. So first of all, um, is really understanding locally where you are, what, what tax breaks and what, and, and what, um, allowances you've got available. And so everyone has, you know, in most countries that I'm aware of, you have, um, you have your pensions, you have different different tax, tax-free savings accounts, you're able to draw certain benefits from the company. So it's super important that you get that in place as long as possible. And one of the best things that I did, um, you know, six, seven years ago is I I, I spoke to a, um, a, a financial advisor. He laid out to me kind of all of the, um, all of the different breaks and options that were available to me in the UK. And that week we set up automated payment like to basically automate all of that stuff and so it's it made it so that over the over the last six or seven years we've automatically been fully funding all of those accounts um with the with the the tax breaks that 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 are available to us and 
the automation is key because it means that you, as the entrepreneur with the <clears throat> with the uh, the lizard brain, you don't mess with it, and that builds. You, you up don't see money. that money. That money goes to the right. You spot. don't even see You're it. Not, yeah, you don't even see it, and that makes it so that over time that builds into something quite substantial. Um, and then the other, so that's on that that's on the on the kind of conservative side of things. But the other part also is I find it very useful to do the kind of work, to do a lot of work internally and ask myself questions like, what level of money makes you feel safe? What is the cash balance that you need in your business to actually feel safe? What is the level of money you need in your, in your personal bank account to feel safe? And it's, it, it's a strange question that because we are always kind of taught that there are technical answers to this and ideal answers to this. But what I found about the kind of the money education and the financial industry is that you would always get these answers that are technically right. But unless you actually energetically embody that belief, you're just going to blow it up. So if someone says to you, for example, oh no, every a startup should have one month of cash flow um always uh in um in in a reserve account somewhere. Well, that's fine. Okay, that might make technical sense, but actually I feel safe when I've got 12 months, because it means even if everything goes goes to hell, um, I've got 12 months to figure it out. And getting to the point where I, I I can actually own that feeling and say, you know what, I know what level of money makes me feel safe to have on hand in different places. Accept that and be comfortable accepting that. Everything got a lot easier because um, I was making money decisions that were true to myself. And and I think uh, I think people would do themselves a big favor by actually being a little bit more emotionally attuned to to their own feelings about money and what what how they react emotionally to it and making those kind of decisions and not listening to dogma about all these different ways of making money. It's like inflation. People say, "Oh, you can't don't keep cash. You'll be losing ten percent um, a year to inflation." It's like, yeah, okay, that may be true, but then what's the price of your peace of mind? What's the value of sleeping at night? You know, there's a reason they say cash is king because, yeah, yeah, when you have that cash, you've got a lot of flexibility and it gives you a lot of confidence. I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's, it's 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 a big deal. So that's something that I end up I've ended up actually talking, talking more and more about in my newsletter, because, you know, every time I write about money, I get a flood of, of oh, responses yeah. back from people saying like, oh, <laughs> I've never, never read this stuff before. Um, and it just goes to show that I think people are just, well, we know this about our society, right? I mean, we're just woefully undereducated about, about money. Kids don't get any kind of financial education at all. And it's it's a fallacy to think that entrepreneurs are somehow super smart about money. We're not, no one taught no one taught us this stuff. We're good we're, at we're, making it, not good at keeping it necessarily. We're good at making it, but then so, we can yep. blow it away as a- uh, Yes, you know, we can. Super, yep. super, super quickly. So, uh, you know, I, you know, one of my pipe dreams has been sort of starting a sort of financial education <laughs> business for entrepreneurs. I'm not going to do it, uh, but I think it would be a very interesting thing to start. Yeah, no question. It's very much needed. It's not in our education system. So it's on us to share everything that we can learn and hopefully help a lot of young entrepreneurs along the way. Well, Ollie, it's been an amazing uh, podcast. So many value bombs that you've dropped for the audience. Uh, as usual, everyone, Seven Figures Nation, your job is not to passively learn here, but to actually implement everything that you're learning from Ollie. And uh, with that, where's the best 
place for the audience to connect with you and to take more action and learn more about a lot of these strategies that you have put together that have been so successful. And, and I think uh, at the top of the list is understanding the old Bill Gates quote, a lot of entrepreneurs over um, exaggerate or overbelieve what they can do within a year, but they underestimate what they can do within 10 years. And that's the the mindset that you need. Yeah. But, but where can everybody connect with you and and take some action. Yeah, I need to. That's a great quote. I need to. I need to adopt that. Yeah. So if you'd like to just read more about the way that I I, I think about uh, about business, um, I've published a 117 page case study that basically yes. describes my entire business model um, for my main education business. It's completely free um, for everyone who subscribes to my newsletter. So you can go to ollierichards.co, which is o double l y richards.co. Uh, you can opt into the newsletter, download the case study, have a read of that, and then hopefully you'll enjoy the emails as well. And if you want to ask me something, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mr. Ollie Richards. Um, I quite enjoy Twitter these days. It's fun. So um, yeah, get in touch. Awesome. Well, I just subscribed as we are speaking here. I'm excited to check out the downloads and read through that paper and uh, excited to get your newsletter because I learned a lot from today's episode, everybody. If you're looking to get to the seven eventually eight figures club this is an episode you're going to want to replay a couple times take some notes and then implement the things that you learned from it that's the quickest way to success following a roadmap that ollie's already built out for you well it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for being a guest on the show today thanks man it was a lot of fun really enjoyed the conversation are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.